Well, welcome back to Trophy Moments and a few firsts with me, Keith Baldwin. And I've got a very special guest today, the president and CEO of AnswerNet, Gary Puddles. Welcome, Gary. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to spend so, time with you. Um, tell, let's see. Tell us a little bit about AnswerNet, and then I want to tell the audience, or maybe you can tell the audience, our connection and how we got to know each other. Well, I'll start with AnswerNet is a full-service, tech-enabled business process outsourcing company. So what we really do is we help companies with people and technology to help them run their businesses their way. There's your elevator pitch. <laughs> okay, so I got the, uh, the pleasure of being introduced to Gary on March 20th, around 3.27 in the <laughs> afternoon. I had just, it was in the, in the throes of the pandemic and my awards business was out of business. There were no awards, there were no events. And I had just um, right before told my bank that I was closing. Uh, and it was a first for me. First time I ever laid off an employee, I laid all of them off. So I had 50 employees that were hitting the streets. And I got that call from First Trust Bank, and you were also a customer of First Trust, much like I was, but you were on the other side of this tragedy where you your business was exploding. You just got the contract for the state of New York to make COVID test appointment calls into the boroughs of New York when the body bags were building up an intense time and you needed to fill those seats immediately. And you asked Beth, our mutual friend at first trust, do you know anybody? Happened to be me. She called me, said, listen, would you be interested? There's uh, this call center. Uh, they need, uh, yes, put us together. And we made a deal within five minutes. You were so gracious that you were going to hire my employees. And I offered them their jobs back two hours later that I had just laid them off and they all said yes. And we became a call center over that weekend, which should be a movie in itself. You know what it takes to make a call center. And we were making calls the following week. And for the next year, we were working with AnswerNet. And you always took care of me and my employees. And I'm so grateful for that. So that's how we met. Yeah. So take us through that time. Your business exploded during that time. So we'll start with that I've always believed I'm one of the luckiest people on the planet. So Why? Because I don't know. I, <laughs> because I don't yeah, you're know. You're a good guy, but. I, 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 you know, I've been, I've been really lucky. And in this situation, we got this contract from the state of New York. And so instead of shrinking, as most of our peers did, we exploded. And what was really, um, I think, the best part of our story is that Rather than hire your employees, I hired you as your company. Yes, you did. And let your employees keep their, their seniority and keep their jobs yep. and keep their life. And, and I think that was one of the most important things we were able to do during the pandemic. Not only were we able to hire lots of people from all different places, but we, I like to think we helped save about seven companies, eight companies who like you were out of business because the nature of the businesses you were in. What we were able to do is help people during the pandemic, both the people who were on the calls we did together. We did unemployment calling. We did COVID calling. We were able to really slot our business in where it needed to be. And more importantly, I remember the call. One of the most meaningful calls to me was at the end 
when I called you and said, I've got to, I've got to pare down my team. And, you know, right now you're sort of the last one standing. And I said, are you guys good? And you told me we're back in business. Everything is good. Let somebody else have the jobs. And that, what to me, was one of the most important conversations. The starting was important to you. But I forgot about the that. The ability to end well as friends and as colleagues, knowing that you were able to make it through that COVID situation from end to end, and I was able to have a small part of it, but you were like, yeah, I'm good, Gar. My team is back to work and we're all good. And that, that, was the, that was the most moving thing for me because instead of, instead of greed, you were like, I know there are other people who are still in need of these jobs and my guys can, can move on. And, and I was really impressed with your, with your selflessness at that moment because a lot of people would have said, oh, I want the money. I want to keep going. I'll hire you know, other people. But you really were about your employees and making sure they were okay, and then making sure that everybody else was okay. And that was really selfless and, and meaningful to me. When you said, I, I do remember that conversation. And you were the bridge that got me to the other side. Without that bridge, I don't know if me and my employees make it. I honestly don't. But and you, you mentioned we went from, we not only just, we started in New York, but we ended in California. Yes, we did. We're taking those unemployment calls. Oh my gosh. God bless your callers. God bless my callers. What they had to deal with uh, was trauma. You, they, we were getting calls from people that had lost everything, including hope. We had, we had an actual suicide on the line. We had multiple close ones, close calls. People had just given up hope. They had, they, and they were the people that we were answering the calls for, trying to connect the dots and get them their benefits. So, so let, let me say, this is what the people in my company do every day. They're so saints. We're one of the largest telephone answering service businesses in the U.S. as part of our, our you know, general stuff. We're taking calls from mothers with babies who are sick at night, people who are sick, people who are in the middle of tragedy. They need their plumber. They need their HVAC person. They need somebody to help them solve a problem that is making their life unbearable at that moment. We help with hospice calls. We help with home health care calls. So one of the things that attracted me to that industry was that... How did you start? <laughs> my, my origin story, as we like to yeah. call it. My origin story was I was brought to Philadelphia to work in uh, vertical real estate. And I loved my job, but I didn't fit in the company. You know, they were uh, a bunch of people who were very different than me. So as... As the relationship. You mean you don't fit in a very straight uh, and narrow? Uh... Well, it was really funny because a couple of them were Wharton guys, and 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 I was like, I don't fit there. And then I found myself teaching at Wharton, which was a whole different animal. But what ultimately happened? Now, I I, I wasn't happy, and they weren't happy with me, and I could see the the handwriting on the wall. So I wrote down all the things that I liked in a business and all the things that I didn't like, and I went on the internet to find a business to buy. Because I realized that I really wanted. So you wrote down a goal. I, I wrote a down vision. A, I wrote down. Didn't write down the goal, but I wrote down. But you knew what, what you wanted. The goal. What the goal was going to look like. Okay. So I didn't know what the goal was. 
I knew I wanted to buy a company. So I didn't write down buy a company, work, be my own boss. I didn't write that down. What I wrote down was all the things that I like and didn't like. Because as most people who have, who have ever seen Simon Sinek know, you start with your why. why? Right. What is my why? Well, my why was helping people, leading people. You know, those were the things, and I wanted to do it in an environment of recurring revenue. You know, my my one of my biggest jobs in my life was working in the Muzak industry. Well, as many people here in Philadelphia know, the the largest franchisee for Muzak while I was coming up was Comcast. A lot of people don't know that Brian's dad, Ralph, and his uncle were the vice presidents of sales at Muzak. So, so I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how Comcast actually got started. Now, you hear about the Tupelo, Mississippi story, but yep. they really started in an understanding recurring revenue in as music as workers for music when it was owned by the the westinghouse and then the rather company and then they got into cable which was also recurring revenue so you know and my boss down in washington was ralph's one of ralph's best friends so i i, I took that model and and again it was about finding what what it what why why was and tailoring this so i found i looked at hundreds of businesses thousands of businesses and one of my favorite stories is i turned to i turned to my ex-wife at one point and i said well there's this franchise for for a child care and she looked at me and she goes you couldn't stand working with children that long <laughs> even for a day never mind you know a long time and i was like well you were the head of a child care center and she's like Mm -mm. And that immediately came off the list. So I ultimately found this answering service business. What was on it the called? Web. Was it called well, Internet? No, I, so, so what ultimately happened was I created a company. I, there were three or four businesses being listed by a local broker. And I had never worked in the business. So I wrote down, you know, I, I, I was started reading the magazine and all I could about the industry. And I had three three answering services that were for sale with the biggest broker in the industry all within an hour of my Lafayette Hill house. So I was, I put a business plan together and I had actually worked. How with, old were you? I was uh, 37. Okay. 36, 37. And I actually had a bank um, progress bank, which was going to support me in that, in that business. And I was going to work. And, and one of our mutual friends was actually going to be my boss, Claudia Timba. Oh really? Yeah, Claudia was supposed to be my boss, which was which was was really that's a stories that stories in and of itself. But ultimately, I'll I get that off off the air. <laughs> I met I met a, a a guy. There was an article in one of the industry publications about a guy who owned the was one of the largest owners of answering services in America, and his office was around the corner from one of the companies I wanted to buy. So I fast forward when the deal crashed and burned to buy these companies independently with with the bank i he during the meeting i had with this guy he said why don't you come and do something with me so when my deal crashed i called him up i said i'm coming to town you know you said maybe we could do something and i really thought i was applying for a job and i get there and we're talking and he says why don't you buy half one of my companies and i was like okay and he said i'll fax you tomorrow the financials you come back saturday and 
that's the beginning of my, that's the beginning. That's a that journey. Saturday, I signed a, I signed a, a piece of paper that we hand wrote, which is now in my office in frame. And I gave the guy my life savings and I asked him not to cash it till Monday because the check would have bounced if he did. And that's how I got into the business from, and from there, you know, just more luck and more opportunity came, um, because he was a really smart guy and he taught me a so lot. So he was a mentor and you learned a lot. Yeah, he was one of many mentors. I, you know, I was very lucky. I had a mentor there, my boss at Muzak, I, who is now gone since 2013, so about 10 years. He, you know, he was my mentor. He taught me how to run a business and my partner in AnswerNet taught me how to run a company. And, and I was really lucky, just like when I was a private practicing lawyer, I had... A, I know you were a lawyer. Yeah, I'm a lawyer by education. I Did practiced for a year and a half. And then Muzak was a client, and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So that's sort of how I got out of the law. And then when we sold Muzak, and we actually sold Muzak because of, of contracts and stuff, we actually... Brian Roberts didn't wasn't a big fan of the music franchises Comcast owned, so Brian sold the Comcast franchises back to the franchisor, and his management team actually bought the company that I was working for, and they had a guy from Ballakinwood who had was a lawyer had a very similar background to me. They didn't need, and he was the, their lead guy, so they didn't need me. So you know they they walked in and they said thanks for your help, Gar, Sayonara, and and that. That's what ultimately got me, there was a whole thing, but that's what ultimately got me to, to Philadelphia. And then ha having this job is what got me. Where were you born? I was born in Old Bridge, New Jersey, okay, Central Jersey. Right. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, so I was, it was more of a New York focus, but the people in the next town over in Freehold, they were all Philly people. So, so I'm going to bring you back into the show and the question that I ask all my guests. Think about... A trophy moment in your life. What was the top one? Is it your first Little League trophy or is it was the first music award that you won or it was an academic award or what was it? What was... So I'm going to say besides weddings and children because, you know, we're dads and grandparents. And, but the, the biggest trophy moment for me was winning the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. What year did you win it? 2003 i think or 2000 and now were you answering it at the time i was okay so and i think i can picture the award it's like a uh it's step, steps in a, yeah. and it's really heavy really and, heavy do you well, have that in your office oh it's in my conference room really the 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 story behind that though was i was up you know when they announced the categories i was up against um the guy who started brandy one so I had no intention really of trust winning. the Brandywine Trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, that multi-billion dollar real estate thing. And everybody else in the category were small businesses and, and people who I had heard about and respected in town. And we get there. and, and Where's there? There was, I don't even remember, somewhere downtown. You know okay. how I avoid downtown. Okay. So somewhere here downtown. And we're at the awards banquet. And my, the, a neighbor of mine was actually a partner at, um, at Ernst & Young, and she sat at her table, and it was really, it was a great night, and I had a couple of pops because I was up against the Brandywine guy. I'm not going to win. And all of a sudden, they announced that the Brandywine guy gets his own trophy in his own category. And I'm looking at, the, at, my, at my list of other people. I'm like, They've, I've done as much as these other people. I could actually do this. So I start writing notes on my, on my 
parking ticket in case I actually have to give a speech. So, so, but, but what most people don't understand about that award is unlike many of the awards, you know, we've, we were 21st on the Inc 500. We, we won the smart CEO. Um, You're just a Titan. A, a, a second year Titan with the Titan 100. But that award is really based on what I believe a CEO's ability to tell a story. And I'll never forget, um, years later, one of the people, judges that I met with was Ron Jaworski. And mm-hmm. I know you know Ron. Mm-hmm. And I, he, He's a guest on this show. He, he, great guy. And, and, and he and I had a great conversation. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting here with Ron Jaworski. You know, and, and, and I didn't see him again until years later. Actually, I think I met his daughter at yes. your, at your book signing, yep. at your book event. And, and I was told he was, I was, he was one of the biggest advocates for me to be the winner. And I, it meant so much to me because that award is not a paid for award. That award is based on articulable success in business. I mean, all the hard work that you'd put into it. It was, it was, um, it was really meaningful because that award is like an Oscar. Yep. For an actor. It's like the for- MVP for an athlete. It, 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 it is a very unique award. And I've had friends who've been up for the award, who've won the award. And, and, you know, it's, I think part of that award or trophy moment said to me that I'm playing the game at a level that is unique. It validated you. It validated me. And, and then when, you know, as. And know, it made you proud. I, I'm still proud of that award. That that award. I'm is, proud that you won it. <laughs> that award That's was a cool really, award, yeah. and I'm in the awards business. Oh, and, right. And, and the only the other award is an award nobody will ever really know about, but in the industry, I won an award for integrity above all else by my peers in the answering service business. Right now, the the most That's in, cool. Right. And what does that award look like? Uh, it's on like a slate. It's on this slate. And, and what was really important to me is one of my dearest friends, the award's named after her dad. So her dad was in the industry and she presented it to me. And it was really meaningful because all of a sudden what that says to other people in your industry is this is a person with high integrity. I can and, trust them. And, and, and in the in business, most people don't realize. They look at a city like Philadelphia and they say, what a big city. This is a great big city. But your reputation in business, and I learned that. So my boss at Muzak, when, when I first went to Muzak, I was actually still in law school. And the owner at the time was a guy named Harry Gale. And Harry was a drummer from, from Chicago, used to play with Big Spiderbeck and a whole bunch of others. And when what Harry taught me, the same sort of speech I just gave about Philly, he gave me about DC. He says, DC is this big company, but, but if people, people will, will you know, know if you have integrity. And so when, when he passed, his son-in-law invited me into his office to take anything he wanted, I wanted. And, and he had expensive stuff. And what I took was this, one of those little silver toys which balance and goes back and forth because i remember that harry taught me that no matter how big a universe you play in if people don't trust you if people don't don't respect you for your intellectual honesty and your authenticity they're going to 
bypass you and you're never going to be successful. You're, they're going to go out of their way to hurt you instead of helping you succeed. So yeah, I think that that's, you know, when I said I'm one of the luckiest people, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I hustle a lot. I work oh, I really, really hard. And, and I think that people know that when they work with me, they're going to get a fair shake. And a lot of, as you know, one of the ways I've built my company over the last 25 years is through acquisitions. Yep. And a lot of those acquisitions are actually turnaround or are, are companies that have struggled or have close to failure. And, and they come to me knowing that they're going to get some kind of fair deal. You know, one of the big things that I'm most proud of recently is that we did 17 acquisitions in 24 months because all that COVID work went away and we decided to keep our size and we wanted to keep our momentum. And so we did these acquisitions. Not one person was fired because they were acquired by our company. And that to me was one of the most inspiring things that I could be a part of. And I say be a part That's of not it. easy to do. And, and, and I have, but that goes to the integrity. Well, and it goes to the team. You know, we built our core values. We built, you know, we built our core, our values. We built our, our um, uh, culture, mm -hmm. right? And, and so we talked about the origin story. The second story that every entrepreneur has is the culture story. And either you build a culture purposely or it happens by accident. And we've all seen the difference between yes. the two. Yes. And so, you know, I've been able to build a culture of kindness and communication and you know these are the you know these are the things that that drive a company forward is it's not just you know working it's what does it feel like people were right people remember how they feel they don't remember what you said yeah what do they feel like being associated with i've you? been asked about culture a lot recently is the culture you is that uh, does it embody your beliefs of, you know, you want to be kind to people. You want to have integrity. Does it, does it emanate from you, the leader? And, and I, I know it takes more than just you, but isn't that where it starts? You as a person? I don't think so. No? No. So the way we drove, we drove our culture through th two processes. One was I had a dear friend who used to, who used to work at Wharton and she got her, she actually got her doctorate in anthropology and in business, okay? Crazy, like the group, the study of business. She came in and helped me figure out our purpose. And then for our core values, I stole a page out of Vern Harnish's book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, and we did the mission to Mars. Yep. And the, I did the same thing. The mission. The same thing. The mission to Mars was not about me. It was about the people in the company yep. that everybody thought represented the company, but here's where it gets, here's where I come in. If I don't act within our core values, if I don't embrace those core values, then They're nobody garbage. will. They're right? garbage. And, and cause it's not authentic. Correct. So we figured out that the core values were, were, were P A T D C K. Okay. Those were the first letters of our core values. One day I'm in the shower and it hit me. Pat the duck. 
<laughs> so Pat the Duck became our mascot because I dressed up as a big duck and created those. I was wondering where that mascot came from. That's where it came from. And it's Pat the Fat Duck, PH, because humor and happiness are our silent core values. And, and so that is, so, so where does it. it come from? Your company culture comes from the people. It's, it's the leader's ability to articulate that culture so for example when people join us and and to onboard when anybody joins the company they have to watch the videos now i call them the fat guy blue shirt videos i would be the fat guy in the blue shirt as i'm wearing today and 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 the whole idea is to teach people our culture our core values our mission and our purpose those are the triumvirate of that of that's the triumvirate of culture in my company right profitability and sustainability so that we can keep going. Mm -hmm. And our mission is to help our clients you know, provide people and technology so that they can run their business their way. So instead of having a platform where you have to operate my way, I have a platform that will let you run your business your way, giving you all the technology and all the people and all of the AI and all of the cool stuff that comes with it and if you understand those three pieces, that is, and now what do we do to support our culture? We have the buzz because everybody needs a good buzz. And that is our quarterly newsletter that goes to the line employees. We have, um, we have the achievement series, which in lieu, it's part of our DEI program. But the idea is anybody who's been with the company for a year can sign up for an achievement series, which is three separate uh, modules of education, so it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what whether you had good background or bad background, whether you had opportunity or you know you lived in a crack house. But you want somebody with the want to, with somebody with the want to. So no excuses. There are no victims in Answernet. If you want to achieve, if you want to get ahead, and you're willing to put in the work, the opportunity is there. That's awesome. So I'm gonna. Uh, uh, we've got a little time left, and I got to get to my. Second question, which is about first. And before, do you, do you remember the first time we met? I was at my office and no. you were picking up headsets, I thought. No. Well, I didn't meet you at that point. I did go, go to your office, but I didn't meet you then. Oh, I, I, we, we knew each other and we developed a relationship over time in, in hiring my employees and working for you. It was towards the end and you were playing in a you're, at you're, screwballs at screwballs yes you're a drummer in a band so i know that's a side passion of yours and i showed up i don't think you knew that i was coming and no. i saw that you were coming or you're playing and i said i want to meet you and it was first time i ever met you and you were out there i forget what outfit you were in one of your crazy Something outfits i'm sure <laughs> and you're playing drums yeah. for your band and your band name is Bucket band. Bucket band. I'll ask you about that in a second. And then the coolest thing was going to your 60th birthday party at Sellersville Theater. And the bucket band and you were on stage playing. But you have one to top that. You played in Nashville a couple weeks later. I, you know, I, the whole musical journey, at the beginning of the show, but actually before we started, you asked me how this started. So I played in the high school marching band and... I played from time to time, but I never really played like this. So when my children went to college, I had been invited to play in a friend's garage, and 
And I hadn't played in, in that kind of situation basically ever, certainly not since high school. And, and, and what, what age was this when you started? 53. <laughs> and so, That's so awesome. I had, you know, I, I, one of, I, we talk about the ups, but I also had a down where I had a pretty ugly divorce with that partner that I talked to you about and I wouldn't be here without him. So I, rather than talk badly about him and, and, and his people, I'll just say that I wouldn't be here without him. You learned I, I a learned lot. A ton. Guy was brilliant. Okay. But we split the company and I was bringing everybody in the following year. That was 2015 for our annual, our annual managers meeting. And so I said, okay, I need to show people that I'm pushing myself forward. So I turned to these guys that I had played a couple times in their garage. And I said, hey, how would you like to surprise my employees? We'll play in front of them. They said, they were so all that, in. That's how you right? started. And that's how I got back into it. And then like everything else I do, it was, it was an obs- obsession. So then I wanted to play in a bar and we did that. Then I wanted to play in a bar for money so that I could be, say that I was a professional and it just went on for there. And I, you know, so they're great firsts. So again, we're coming to the end. What's a first that you haven't done that you've always wanted to do that you're, you will do. So the moving forward, the first thing is to play for over a thousand people. I really want to play. How many were in sellers? 300. Okay, and how about in uh, Nashville? In Nashville, it was about three or four hundred, but I was playing at the stage on Broadway, and we opened for Blake's touring band with some other people in front of him. So Blake's band travels with Blake, but he also they also travel That's play a, for a other house, people. Right. It was a ho- like a house band, and we right. opened for them. That was an epic experience. And then a few months later. One of my rock icons, a guy named Jim Babjack, who was the lead guitarist of the Smithereens, invited me to play with him when he did his first acoustic show. So the one thing that I really haven't done is played in a massive venue with a lot of people. And I'll figure that one out. So do you have an idea of where that is? I don't know yet. Don't I don't know yet. know yet because... because you're, you're letting me know because I'm going to be in the audience. Because I don't care where it's everything. at. I don't and, care where it's at. And, and the other big thing that I want to do, and, and I think it's um, particularly cogent, my wife and I, our goal is to see every country in the world. I have a similar goal. We have a friend who's done it. Now, I can't do it while I'm still actively running the business, but we travel, for example, earlier this year, we went to Colombia, you know, and we freaked out our children. We freaked out many of our friends. They were like, there are so many friendlier countries to go to. And I'll tell you, Colombia was just a beautiful place. I've heard that. It it, it was, but I wouldn't do it without a guide. Yeah. Okay. I certainly wouldn't stay in a bunch of hostels in in Colombia. I'm not sure I'm that brave, but you know, I'm really lucky. My wife is my travel buddy and my best friend. And you know, we get to do that, that kind of stuff, but that's our goal. Our goal is to get out there and see the world and enjoy the world with each other. So I'd say that's the biggest goal that I have. Well, Gary, it has been time flew. It is up. And I'm so appreciative of you coming and being a guest today. Thank you very much. 